God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God saw said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruits, fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their own kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds And everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. And over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, 
And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has and everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his works that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work, which which he had done in creation." Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, you are the maker of all things, and you've given us your word by which we learn these, and we ask that you'd help us this morning. In Jesus' good name, amen. There are lots of things that are kind of thematic in the creation story in Genesis 1, right? There's evening and there was morning. There was the first day, there was the second day, there was the third day, there was the fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, seventh day. And another theme related to those is this theme of separateness that permeates everything. Right? The very first thing, let there be light, and God separated the light from the darkness. And then he separates the dry land from the seas, and the waters from the waters. And everything that's created is according to its kind, separate. Everything. No crossing over. This thing, that thing, this thing, that thing, man. Everything is separate, day and night, evening and morning, separate, separate, separate. And then you think of who God is in and of himself, right? He is one, one God, but he is also three distinct persons in that one God, distinct And you realize that this idea of separateness, of distinctness, you might say, is intrinsic to God and it's intrinsic to the creation. That everything about the creation is separate. The tree is not the grass. We are not the grass. We are not a cow. A cow is not a fish. A fish is not a bird. right? And you could use this to go into many different things. And people have to to various extents, use these truths to argue against things like uh, evolution and its broad form and all those sorts of things. But I'm not here to do that for us this morning, although I think that is a valid argument and true, um, that there is, in fact, no crossing over between the species, um, and that distinctness is intrinsic to what God made. But why does it matter is the question I'm trying to answer this morning. And why does it matter to us today? That God didn't just leave everything in kind of a gray, misty kind of light. But he said there's day and there's night. There's animals and there's plants. There's land and there's seas. He didn't say everything's going to be like a marshy swamp. He said, there's going to be stuff you walk around on and stuff you sink when you step into. Those are different things. Why did he do that? 
Why did he make such distinctness in this world? Why does it matter to us now? He made it, I think, to show us that the world in which we live cannot ever be, I'm going to use the word separated, can ever be separated from separateness. Okay? It can't be done. And we want to do it so badly. Um, But anyone who actually lives in a sort of twilight place knows that it's not actually any fun. If you ever talk to anyone who lives above, way up in the north or down in Antarctica and has spent any time there during the months of the year that it's either complete darkness and there is no light, or when it's twilight all day, that it never acts, the sun never rises, it never becomes day, you know what happens to those people? You know what the rates of suicide are with those people? Extraordinarily high. Why? Why is it so high when, you, when the sun doesn't rise? Why is the distinctness so important to how we understand life? There have been all kinds of experiments that have been done through the years to try and determine if human beings are meant to have a 24-hour day or not. Right? And so they'll lock people into these rooms and give them no like never shut off the light so it's light all the time and it screws them up they and then they're like see it proves and a lot of times they'll morph into about a 25 hour day instead of a 24 hour day and so they're like see it proves that we can adapt and we can evolve and blah 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 no what it proves is without the distinctness of darkness we're screwed up that's what it proves it doesn't prove that we evolved the 24 hour day and that we're actually made for a 25 hour day It proves that when you remove distinctness of day and night, we don't get along. We won't survive. This is true not just physically. This is true spiritually. This is true all the way through our nature. That separateness, distinctness, night and day, cleaving of things is intrinsic to who we are. It's intrinsic to who God made us to be. You can see this even in the creation of Adam and Eve. What does he say when he makes Adam and Eve, right? In the end of chapter 2 of Genesis, after Adam and Eve are together, and Adam has said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And you go, see, Joe, they're one and the same. And then I go, she was taken out of him. There are two, but they're one. They're married. Therefore, what happens? A man shall leave his father and mother and become one with his wife. That intrinsic to marriage is separateness. You cannot have a marriage without a cleaving of the relationship of father and mother and a cleaving to the wife. Separateness, distinctness. All the time. And then you just think of all the other ways through Scripture that you see this. Most notably in the commands of God. Do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Do this. Over and 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 over in Scripture. These sorts of distinctnesses exist. Why do they exist? Why do they exist? Why does it matter if God said do this and don't do that? 
Can't we just live in this gray area in between? And we always want to find the gray area. It's where we love to live. So, for instance, this this is just common, but inevitably, whenever you discuss whatever God has said or a commandment or a law that the, the governor has made or whatever, the question almost immediately comes, yeah, but what about this specific circumstance where you might not apply that directly, maybe? What about, what about, so speed limits, yeah, everyone agrees speed limits are good and we should obey them, but what about, what's, what about if your wife is in labor and you're trying to get to the hospital? I mean, think about that one, right? So are they really black and white speed limits? They're literally written in black and white, just so you know. <laughs> but we always want to find a gray area, as though we think that's going to be good for us, better for us. And yet, what do we know? You live in twilight North Pole, you will want to shoot yourself. You live in always daytime, you can't even find up from down and you start to go crazy. If we think it's good for us to not have distinctness, yes and no, we have lost our minds. What is actually good for us? Distinctness. Difference. Yes and no, right and wrong, left and right. Here is how God puts it at one point. This is Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. This is after the giving of the law, summarized in the Ten Commandments, but also in the 600 and some odd commandments of the whole totality of the Torah. Everything God commanded the Israelites to do. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. 600 and some odd commands. And we think, oh, but you know, there's always the, we should know, there's always the gray. We want to live in the gray area. We don't want to say no. We want to say, maybe, maybe you can do that. Um, These sorts of discussions happen all the time. I was talking to somebody this week, um, and... Uh, the question was, you know, uh, is can I work at a gambling house, right? So, like, think like Vegas. And the answer is complicated, right? Do you work at the hotel that the gambling house is in? Are you the maid that cleans the beds? Or are you the blackjack dealer at the table? Those are important distinctions. Those matter when we're dealing with this. And But what really usually is behind all these questions we ask is, can I get away with this? Can I be the exception? Because I think being the exception is better for me. I think it's always the good thing for me to be the exception. We do this all throughout our lives with everything we ever do. right? We have a doctor in the house. I won't ask her, and I'll try not to make eye contact with her. How many times have patients disagreed with what you tell them to do? Probably never, I would imagine. It's never happened. We never disagree with a guy who literally went to school for a decade telling us what to do. We always think, yeah, but that's those other people. I'm different. I know, I know what to do. No, you don't. <laughs> I mean, yeah, every now and then a doctor's going to be wrong and you're going to be right. That's going to happen because the world is big. But the reality is if you have someone who's went to medical school to figure out how to fix the problems with you and your body... They're going to be right more often than you are, right? 
But we never think that when we're the one in the office. They say, you know what, Joe? You need to lose a lot of weight. And I'm like, well, you know, other people might, but I carry it well. It's okay. No, the reality is I do need to lose weight, right? This is not complicated science, but I want to be the exception, right? I don't want to be that guy. It's everywhere. It's all the time. With our mechanics, I brought this up a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week. Our mechanic says, hey, listen, you got loose ball joints. You're going to have to get those replaced. Your tire's going to fall off. I worked front desk for a mechanic for a year. You would not believe the kinds of conversations I had with people. I would literally go, you have to sign a waiver. I mean, I literally had to do this several times. You have to sign a waiver that says, I told you, you might die if you take the car out of our parking lot. And they're like, okay, I'll sign that. I mean, we all think we're the exception that somehow the flaws of physics that God has designed don't apply to us. And that a loose ball joint that will literally physically cause a tire to remove itself from the vehicle, you can somehow hold on to that while you're driving down the road and hitting bumps. It doesn't make any sense. The mechanic knows. That's what he does every day. He checks ball joints. God knows what is good for us eternally, doesn't he? He is better than the best doctor, better than the best mechanic, better than whoever you think is the expert in whatever field. And here's the thing. He never misdiagnoses, misspeaks, or gives us the wrong thing. And yet we always want to question him. It's the sin from the beginning, right? We haven't got there in Genesis 3. But the, literally the, the doubt that's lodged by Satan is, yeah, but did he really, did he really say that? Did he really mean? I mean, are you really going to? Does that? And we think, you know what? You're right. That law isn't for my good. I should break it. I should be the exception here. And we do it with every sin. Every sin. Every sin. We think, okay, God said this. And most people, I agree, should do that. But I'm, I'm able to, to still do this and not go there. Therefore, I'll still do this. Um, you can think of it with, like, lying, right? Lying. We all know what bold-faced lying is. It would be if I stood up here and said, Hey, listen, yesterday I flew down to Florida. A buddy of mine has a boat. We went out on the Gulf Coast. I caught a big old fish this big. It's getting mounted. It's going to be shipped back here. And then another week I told you, Hey, that, sh- that fish that I caught, that I told you about, that I flew down one day, caught it, flew back, preached the next morning, it got lost in the mail. I guess we're never going to see it. I won't be able to give you proof. We would recognize that as a complete bold-faced lie, right? Everyone here would just go, Our preacher is literally lying to us, and he's lost his mind, right? But we all know how to lie without lying. We all know how to tell just enough of the truth to say, well, I didn't didn't say that. But you didn't say this, which was actually the whole thing, right? And we can... We can despise it when it's a politician, and yet we do the same sorts of stuff all the time, all the time. We just leave off a little bit because we think God has said this, but that applies to them all the time and not to me all the time. Now back to Deuteronomy. After the law was given, all these commands... And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? 
What does God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, all his ways, all his ways. So when we think, you know, here's the deal, officer. What happened was I really had to go to the bathroom. And so I was stepping on the gas, and the law doesn't apply to me right here where I went 55 through a school zone when there were kids getting on buses. It just doesn't apply to me. It applies. It applies. You get a ticket. Sorry. Um, always, right? To love him. To love him. That's what the God requires of you. To fear him, to do what he says, to love him. And to serve the Lord your God, you will know this part, with all your heart, with all your soul. And to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today. But here's the key piece. Because we hear that and we go, it's just so much. And then he says, the commandments and statutes I am commanding you today for your good. For your good. That's why he gave us the commandments. Not so that we would be, you know, always railing against these things, but he did them knowing that it's actually for our benefit to follow what he says, that he's not a stupid God, that he didn't just pull things out of thin air and put them on paper and go, well, yeah, maybe that one will stick. God has given these things to us for our good. Now, it's important to distinguish that even then, when the law was given, righteousness justification before God, being saved from the penalty of sin, only existed by the grace of God. But that if you were saved, if you did believe that God had actually done the saving at the Exodus, you would want to follow him because he is your savior. Right? That's how the Ten Commandments begin. Did you know that? The Ten Commandments are not just here are the Ten Commandments. There's an intro. There's a preface. Preface? How do you say it? Preface? All right. I'll go with that. I'm educated. It's okay. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That the whole context of obeying God is in the context of we were saved by God, the Israelites. And he told us these things for our good. And so we'll do them because did you just see what he did? Did you just see what happened there? So the Christian says the same thing. Jesus Christ saves you. And then he says, do this, do this. And you go, did you see what he did? He died. He rose again. Of course I'll do these things. What other thing would I do? Jesus says, if you love me, you will do all that I command. That's a quote, John 15. He literally just says, if you say you love me, you better be doing what I say. Because that's the only way to follow love is to do. Think of it relationally, okay? 
somebody you're close to, I don't know what's going on. I think it's actually this that's causing the squealing. Can we turn the gain down maybe or something on this? It's driving me bonkers. It might be driving some of you. Okay. When I'm talking, yeah. I'll just shout from over here. Um, Yeah, I'm going to step aside for a minute. It's driving me crazy. So, So then what do we have, right? We're left with this idea that Jesus Christ has actually told us things to do. And how much has he told us to do? It's all here. And why did he tell us to do those things? For our good. For our good. Now we have on this earth, earthly rulers. Right? Earthly authorities. Now they ostensibly are trying to do things for our good all the time. Right? So, that doesn't mean they're succeeding in doing good all the time. But ostensibly, the reason you're electing a man or a woman is to say, we trust you to make decisions for our good. That's why we're putting you in office. Because we want you to make a decision so that we will have X, Y, or Z. Right? It goes all the way down to the local level. Right? You elect different people to your city council, county council, who you trust to make a decision that's actually going to benefit your community, whatever it is. You're trusting them to make a decision for your good. You don't want to elect a person who's going to make bad decisions for you and treat you awfully, right? Now that happens. But now you have a perfect Lord, a perfect sovereign, who never messes it up, right? Earthly rulers, even if they're trying their best, are going to screw it up. I'm going to screw it up as your pastor. You're going to screw it up with other people, even if you're trying to help them. You're going to screw it up sometimes. God never screws it up. He never misspeaks. He didn't accidentally create the sun and the moon on the fourth day instead of the first day. Right? There was evening and there was morning for several days before the sun and moon existed. It wasn't accidental. He didn't go, oh... Let, the, let there be stars, I guess, and a, a greater light and a lesser light. Because otherwise, who's going to rule the light and the darkness? What am I doing? I screwed this up. I got the days to the... Well, it's already done. Nothing to do but just try and fix what I did. That's not what happened. Right? He didn't do that. He went, let there be light. And there was light. And God separated it in the... Day he called the light he called day and the not darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. It wasn't accidental. I've talked about this concept a lot, but I'm going to briefly mention it again. Who I don't know what warms the earth and causes it to be lit up during the day? The sun. Who causes the warm to be warm the earth to be warmed up and the sun to fall on us? God. And if God snuffed out the sun tomorrow, we wouldn't immediately go extinct, like everyone says we would in eight and a half minutes when the sunlight stops from the 93 million mile journey it has to make. Unless God said it. That God is absolutely, totally capable of sustaining life without the sun. He's totally capable of sustaining life without a rotating earth. 
is he stopped it two different times. One time he turned it backwards in the Old Testament. Ten degrees. It's a couple hours, just so you're aware. He stopped the sun in the sky in a war that was happening. He is not limited by his creation. He made it. It's his. It's like the, you know, my kids are playing with Legos these days. If they make it, they can do whatever they want with it. If they fit, well, to some extent, I'll put some limits on that. Not anything, okay. Uh, but to some extent, they're free to do what they want with their creation. If they want the next minute to smash it up and build something new, they can do that. If they want to try and build something bigger and better than what they have, they can do that. God is the same. He is not bound by our simplistic views of how things are held together. He is the maker of all things. And this maker, this God, who created all things and said, be separate, be separate, be separate, each according to its kind, each according to its kind, man, he is the one who gave us all these things for our good. For our good. All of it. Everything that's ever been made, every rule that God has ever laid down, everything He's ever created in this whole universe is for our good. How do I know that finally, ultimately? Is this any... Oh, I think He might have fixed it. Good job back there. (laughs) All right. Romans... Oops, it's the wrong page. Where's the verse? And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know, we know, that those who are called, for those who love God, those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. If we love God and are called according to His purpose, then every single thing from the beginning when God said, let there be light, was for our good. And finally, what is the final good? The final good is that we might be transformed predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That for the Christian, our final good is to become like Christ. Imitate our Savior. That everything in this world, everything in this world, is pointing us to that. From the creation of light, to the rules of scripture, to the fellowship of the saints, to the car you drive, is so that you might be Christ-like. Because Christ bought you, if you love him, and are called according to his purpose. That's the whole reason the earth exists for you personally. Everything. It doesn't say all things except for creation, or all things except for this. All things. Every single thing. We tend to think of predestination as this like very particular doctrine about a very particular thing of election and predestination being just about salvation and that moment of time where you believe. But listen, every moment since God opened his mouth to speak the creation into the world is for every single one of his saints, personally. From Adam on to the end. 
that there is not a single wasted moment on the face of all creation for any one of his saints. And that doctrine is the most pleasant thing I could possibly imagine. Because what is better, having a God who leaves some things that are not for our good, or having a Father who every single thing that has ever happened on the face of the earth and in the universe beyond was for you, if you're called according to his purpose, if you love God. How good of a father is that? How good is he to do that? The God who spoke the world said for you today, right now, all of that, the whole of history was for you. And he does that to every single one of us individually. And then he does it to us corporately. It says to our body, for you, First Press, for you, Evangel Presbytery, For you, church of the world, everything, everything, everything. We try to do this for our own children and for those we love. We try not to let anything slip through our grasp so that they might benefit, right? But we fail. We don't correct our children when we need to. We forget that we made that promise. We lapse in our judgment. We think going left is better than going right, even though God says go left instead of right. All of it, all of it for our good. Now we could spend a whole other time asking the question, how does it get from those sorts of things to our particular good? But I'll leave that to another sermon, another day perhaps. But God has made things distinct in this world. He has separated them. He has given us laws. He has given us truth and falsehood. He has given us ways to discern. And it is found in the pages of his holy word. And we are meant, his saints, to do these things. God said, light from darkness. And we say also, light from darkness, spiritually speaking. One more, because I just got to make sure you're getting the, the spiritual side of things. This is John 3, right? Famous, famous passage of scripture. Right after, for God so loved the world. This is the, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Jesus he came. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That we want to make creation this abstract thing that happened all those millennia ago and has very little to do with us today. But Jesus is the light of the world. And if we despise him, it's because we're of the darkness and we hate him. Separating, separating, separating. And finally, the ultimate separation, right? The new heavens and the new earth, and then at the very final last judgment of Christ, sheep from goats, this eternity and that eternity, Hell and heaven. There is no way to cross over. There's a great chasm fixed between them. Eternity will be marked by separation. So let us think now this morning how this affects us and how we are to be distinct in this world. We are not to look like everyone else. We're not to be like everyone else. We're not to try and find the gray. We're trying to live separate. Grace-filled separate lives that are distinct, marked, unusual Separate from 
Let's do that. We can. God has given us his spirit. He has saved us. And he has done it all for our good. Amen? We're going to have communion now. I'll be brief-ish.